Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. Thanks to the organizing presence and preparation of Gwyn and Harold Messer and their many minions of an army, veritable army of elves, our sanctuary has been transformed. For those who are joining remotely, we certainly hope that you have the opportunity this Advent and Christmas season to be in this space. It is beautiful. But even more than beautiful, what we see around us is not intended just for its aesthetic um, feeling. Um, or the beauty that it brings to it. Most everything that is here in this space is intended to teach us something, to remind us of where we are in the story of God's love to us. In the next weeks, as the song suggested, we will tell the story of Jesus, which is God's love story to us. We remember that today is the first day of the new church calendar year. Yes, I know we're 30-some-odd days before the calendar that reigns supreme in our lives begins and turns over into 2023. Today, however, in the life of the Church Universal, is the first day of a new year. And we begin it in preparation for Christ's birth. This... Advent wreath enables us to have a visual countdown, as it were, lighting candles each week leading up to the lighting of the Christ candle on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. Advent is not the first church season, historically. The first church season that we celebrated was Lent. That is the time of preparation for Christ's passion. So centuries ago, when followers of Jesus in the church began to commemorate times of the year, it wasn't Christmas, it wasn't Advent that kicked it all off. It was the season of preparation in participation with Christ and his passion on the cross. Advent, actually, was patterned after the Lenten season. That is, it's a time of preparation, which is why the stole on our cross on our communion table is the color of preparation. It's purple, which, yes, doubles as royalty, but it's also the same color that's used during the season of Lent. Lent gets its name from the lengthening of days. It's 40 days, excluding the church Sundays, the Sundays that the church gathers to proclaim that Christ is risen. But the other days are times of fasting, of a a spiritual and physical preparation for what God has done in our midst. Likewise, Advent has been set aside and established to prepare us for Christ's arrival, the lighting of the Christ candle. Now this is all very confusing, isn't it? Because many of us, if we watch the Macy's Day Parade or have been in in 
any store since mid-October knows that we are in the season of Christmas. Except not for the church. We are in the season of Advent, of the preparation for the arrival of Christ's presence. So we use we use a object lesson. And each week we will bring in additional object lessons to tell the story of Christ's birth. And just as it will be true with the lighting of the Christ candle and the arrival of the Christ child, that is the culmination of Advent and the beginning of the Christmas season, which lasts 12 days. The emphasis in our setting, in our culture, is is all before Christmas. But the church universal, and historically, the Christmas season really happened after Christmas Day. For us, many of us, we're, we're packing things up on the 26th, the 27th. We're done with it. We've begun new sales and new things like bowl games, some of whom our local teams will not be a part of like we had hoped. That's another story. Our Christmas tree is not a Christmas tree. It's a Christmon tree. And if you look closely, you will not find the kinds of ornaments that are on the Mathis family Christmas tree, like Snoopy, or um, terrible ornaments that we made when we were children, but still find their place on our Christmas tree. No, up here, we find Christmons. It, combination of of two words, literally Christmas, but also monograms. What you see there are Christ's monograms. Those are symbols, representations of Christ, and they each tell an important element of the story. It's white. It's gold. The colors of resurrection of God's power to us. So what we see here in this space tells the story. The banners remind us where we are in anticipation of the arrival of the Christ child. This Sunday, we celebrate and acknowledge how through Christ Jesus and the prophecies of old, we have hope. Next week, we will celebrate how Christ is our peace, how Christ is our joy, and how Christ teaches us about God's love. Everything here tells the same story of God's love. And as we begin this journey in Advent, and as we begin this new church calendar year, it serves as a wake-up call. Which is why we turn our attention to the New Testament, to Paul's letter of hope to the church in Rome. So I invite you to join me in the 13th chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, or Romans, beginning with verse 8. Let us listen attentively to Paul's encouragement to us as we begin this Advent season together. Owe no one anything except to love one another, For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm not sure if you've had the chance to visit our neighbor across the street for years and years. It was Peebles. Now it's Sleep USA, which, of course, is in the business of keeping us asleep as long as we can. It's true. I've spent some time over there. Yes, I've made the... Um, the jokes that accompany a preacher going across the street to talk about sleeping and about how I like to put our congregation to sleep and they can go right from here across the street and try out that amazing mattress or pillow. When Paul talks here about sleeping and about waking up, He's not talking about REM sleep and how to maximize our, our deep sleep patterns or, or figuring out how to relieve the pressure points or, or even about finding the best kind of pillow for the posture that you sleep on. While those things are important, Paul's emphasis here is about darkness and light, which also needs a little unpacking, right? In Paul's day... By and large, when it got dark, it was dark. And it stayed dark until the sun rose the next morning. For what? About 125 years in unprecedented fashion in human history, we've been able to extend the day. We've been able to extend light in glorious fashion. It's not always been the case. We have been able to artificially make the day longer. Not for Paul's listeners. When the sun went down, for the most part, you went to sleep. Interestingly, we've learned that people actually would wake up in the middle of the night, be fully awake, would actually be productive for as many as 30 minutes to 60 minutes, and then go back to sleep, something called second sleep. But it all had to, to happen in the dark. Of course. So when Paul talks about being asleep and about waking up, he's talking about the activities of the dark and of what daylight feels like, especially in the light of the resurrection. The story of Advent and Christmas is about illumination. So this passage works. Consider what we do with light, especially during this season. How many of us have nearly wrecked our cars 
because we've seen extraordinary light displays from our neighbors and we immediately wonder how they pay for that. We spend great money to go to, to places in our state and beyond that, that do amazing things with light and we tune our radio stations to, to, to the place where they, they play music timed to, to penguins doing flips in the light and Santa's dancing in unison in light because light delights us. It sparkles. It directs and captures our attention, which preaches, y'all, God brings light. You know what time it is, Paul says. How it's now the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. At Christmas, we proclaim that the night is is over. That which we do in the dark must end. It's time, y'all, to wake up. But it's hard to wake up, isn't it? I'm curious, how did your parents or even siblings wake you up when you were younger? When y'all lived under the same roof? Did you have different ways that you woke up, different folk? I've heard stories of people coming in with pots and pans, waking up children who were going to be late for the school bus. My mom, she would sing to me. I know. It sounds delightful. I loathed it. I remember visiting my father's parents up on the farm off of Hardscrabble in Yancey County, small farmhouse. There was only one heating source. It was the, the stove that would hopefully heat everything. And it did. Downstairs, it'd be about 95 degrees. But upstairs, the sheets wouldn't get warm until it was time to wake up. No insulation. Upstairs, tin roof just at the time that you'd be getting warm and cozy. You'd hear my grandmother, the grandmother that would shuffle around, rarely a smile on her face. She had birthed 13 children, so you were given permission to be grumpy. You'd hear her voice, certainly not singing. She'd yell out for my father to wake up. She'd yell Ted, get up. And you would hope and pray she would not say it again because it sounded terrible. It sounded angry. It sounded foul. It sounded mean-spirited, like my father had not gotten up early enough to go out and milk the cow, which he had not. My dad would stumble out of bed and go downstairs. How... Have your loved ones awakened you? It's hard because, let's face it, there are times we really don't want to wake up. In fact, in our effort to extend darkness into the light, many of you all 
like Rebecca and I, we have blackout curtains in our bedroom. We want to stay in bed. Thank you very much. Our children learned at a very early age, do not come into our room and be very, very quiet. And by and large, they have. Here's the thing. If we are, in fact, disciples of Jesus, we must concede that we were not made for the darkness. We were not made for night. We were not made for a world or a reality where you cannot see. For if you cannot see, you cannot navigate. You cannot move forward. If you live and exist in the darkness, our eyes will literally become so attuned to the dark that it will no longer be able to see anything. We were not made for that reality. We were not made to be able to, to just stumble over ourselves or one another or to live lives in secret that other people cannot see. No. In Christ, we were made for light, even though we still may be drawn to the things of the night. Advent is a season of hope and anticipation. I mean, to me, Advent hope feels like this. Years ago, I used to go camping a good bit. I'd travel out west, camping in extraordinary areas of wilderness far away from civilization. It was, it was exhilarating and lovely. I loved to find a camping spot knowing that I was the only one within miles of myself which is all well and fine until it gets dark and your senses are heightened and every twig snap, every footfall is met with great awareness and anticipation. There was one night I remember camping in grizzly country, I, I, I might add. I had not probably followed all of the the things that I should have in terms of where to place your food and your dirty clothes and even your toothpaste. Are you kidding me? Why would a grizzly bear want my toothpaste? But I remember being awakened in the middle of the night. By sound, I genuinely could not replicate or place. But I was absolutely aware that I was not alone. Frantically looking to figure out how much more darkness I had, I looked for my fading, blinking out flashlight to see on my watch some sense of hope that maybe, just maybe, it's 5.35 a.m. Or maybe 4.55, knowing that just a few moments, the far horizon would begin to illuminate and I could rest easier knowing that light was coming and yet then seeing with horror that it was 1.50 a.m. Knowing that there was much darkness to come. Advent hope is knowing that there's not much longer to go. That's what Advent hope feels like. 
Jesus' arrival shatters darkness. Read the gospel according to John's prologue about how Christ is both revelation and illumination. We remember, of course, in the story, spoiler alert, the shepherds are awakened with a blinding light. They had been out in the dark, keeping watch over their flocks because they could wander off or they could be stolen. We know that these shepherds were considered outlaws because they camped out on other people's lawns and yards and ate their grass. They were not well-respected. They were not the kind of people you'd assume would receive the message that they, they did. Blinding light, they were absolutely awakened out of their slumber. There's nothing subtle about this. There was no way that the shepherds would miss this divine wake-up call. So if Christ is the most effective wake-up call of all, then y'all, we'd better get dressed and ready for the day. That's Paul's message. Because he tells us that when we're awakened out of the darkness, we stop the activities of the night, which, as he points out, can be self-serving and self-focused. The activities of the night are all about ourselves, what we want, what we desire, which I must add and lift up. Our culture celebrates that. That which you desire reigns supreme. Paul's telling us that we are a people of the light and we redirect our attention away from our own desires to what's best for all, literally the common good. When we pursue our own desires, you'll find you don't see very far because you're in the pitch dark. So Paul goes on and says, let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Activities of the night, reveling and drunkenness, debauchery and licentiousness, and then quarreling and jealousy? I mean, really? Paul puts quarreling and jealousy on the same level as those other really red-letter sins? Really? True story. And it's not an accident. But that's another story. Followers of Jesus live in the interval between the pitch darkness of night and the noonday sun. It's so important, I'm going to remind, say it again. Followers of Jesus live in the interval between pitch darkness and noonday sun. The horizon is warming, but the shadows are still very long just as we heard read earlier about Jesus' arrival, eternal and near at hand, already and not yet, God's promise is the foundation of all life. So until all darkness is eradicated by Christ's return and the new day sun, we put on armor of light to combat the darkness. It's a fascinating image, this armor of light. It's not super accurate. The Greek here actually suggests that 
We should arm ourselves with the weapons of the light, which I have to tell you, I'm not real fond of, but I got to call it plainly. The original Greek here suggests a way to protect oneself against darkness. But I don't have to tell you that as people who follow the Prince of Peace, we don't need to talk anymore about weaponry. Instead, we talk about the armor of light, which is a faithful translation to the Greek that is also rich with meaning. Because Paul doesn't leave us hanging. Paul tells us what this armor of light looks like in Christ, in proclaiming and professing him as Christ Jesus our Lord, we wake up out of darkness. And then, as people of the day, we've got to dress ourselves. And as we do, Paul tells us to put on Jesus. And putting on Jesus means putting on the armor of light. The armor of light is love. The commandments that he references can all be summed up in love of neighbor. Now, to be clear, this agape love, which is steadfast, without question, unconditional regard and activity for good for the other. That's what agape means. Paul warns us not to get tripped up by our feelings. Feelings muddy the water every time. Y'all, it ain't love if you have loving feelings for someone. That's just obvious. Love is where you practice unconditional good for another, especially when you don't like them. That's what love is. That's what agape is. And that is what Christ clothes us with for the daytime. Because that's the best way to combat darkness. We do not combat darkness with darkness. That makes no sense. We are salt and light. And that means that we are clothed with a godly love for others that works best, especially when we don't like them. We don't have to overthink this, y'all. Do good for others, especially when you don't want to. Paul sums it up this way, to love is to obey the whole law. Don't get tripped up on the laws, he's saying. For if you are loving your neighbor, you are fulfilling the law. I mean, y'all, let's be honest. It's no surprise why we prefer the darkness to, to daylight. When we fulfill our own desires and we taste that rush of adrenaline, when that feeling and that activity reigns supreme, the prospect of waking up becomes something to avoid. We'd much rather live in a world with blackout curtains and darkness and cozy settings where we're not disturbed so that we can go on doing the activity of the night. Sin, y'all, Sin looks like hitting the snooze button as many times as we can to extend the darkness even though 
we know it's time to get up. That's what sin is. Just a little bit longer, please. I don't want to get up yet. I know I have to, but I don't want to. I don't want to live in the fullness of day. Please, God, let me stay asleep. But God does not give a wit about our desires for darkness nearly as much as his love breaks through the darkness. I'm reminded of the story of, of Jesus and his friend Lazarus in the most ultimate darkness there could be, the darkness of death behind a tomb, dripping with grief, the family and Jesus are obedient to him, walking to grave's door, and he commands for the sun to come up, rolling away the stone, opening up darkness and night, and calling Lazarus forward. Come out, God helps. Here is a new day. This next year, our theme here at First Baptist Church is beyond belief. Go make disciples. To believe, you've got to be awake. But to be a disciple, you've got to get out of bed and get fully clothed. And according to Paul, dressed in the love of Jesus. Let us pray. God, we are in that interval between darkness and full daylight. And the shadows continue to be long. The temptation to get back in bed is so compelling. God, help us to resist that so that we can live more fully into the illumination that you want us to bring to a dark, dark world. Let us combat the darkness around us with your hope, your peace, your joy, and your love. For it's in the name of the Christ child that we pray these things. Amen.